Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Greg Pickett. Good morning. Today I've got uh, Roland Vincent with uh, Roland Vincent & Associates. Roly and I first met about 10, 12 years ago when you were at Textron, and I just had the, uh, the opportunity to see you speak up at uh, the NADA Leadership Conference. It was great, some great, you know, great presentation you made regarding the, the health of the business aviation industry or the biz jet industry, I should say. So uh, let's start from there. Roly, how are you today? Good morning, Craig. Great to be with you. It's very good to be with you. Thank you. So as part of the conference last week up in DC, you put some pretty uh, pretty sobering numbers on the screen with regards to uh, your business jet manufacturing and the industry as a whole. Where do you what are you liking about it these days? Where do you where do you where do you see its strength? Well, I think the the clear strengths are the uh, investment that the industry continues to be making. Big players across the uh, spectrum really are, are betting on the future, and I think betting appropriately. Um, some of the big investments, really, uh, a lot of the airframers get the attention at the big shows, but uh, we're really watching the uh, engine companies as well, aero engine company. That's where a lot of the investment is going on, maybe a little bit more quietly or if not behind the scenes and certainly um, kind of behind the uh, the big curtain. It just seems that this is where um, a new combination of, let's say, an airframe and an aero engine really making some differences. We're seeing some exciting aircraft coming along with these new engines so i think uh, from the investment point of view it's fascinating we're as an industry investing for our future and um i think that that brings a bright days ahead i think in in the next few years though we are going to go through some uh, turbulence and i think part of the role that we see that we play is to just uh, make people aware of some of the numbers that we're we're looking at and trying to put it all together and you know what does this mean and, and you know so what from from all the data so let's you know let's start with the aero engine side of the house. You know, obviously, uh, you know, Gulfstream with the G seven hundred, they uh, they went back to Rolls Royce for that platform. Um, did that surprise you a little bit, or did that uh, was did you is that something you you expected? Well, for uh, many years, and Craig, you know this as well as I do, the Rolls and the Gulfstream combination was kind of almost expected. That that uh, has been a uh, a relationship that goes back to the, I don't know what, 1950s maybe. Um, yeah, I think we were all a little surprised when they went away from rolls back uh, in, the, what was it, 2014 when that airplane roll, the, the G500-600 announcement was made. Um, so going back to rolls, no, we weren't surprised whatsoever. Actually, we were predicting that and have been for some time. Um, the G700, we even got the name right on that one. We, we, we thought that... Uh, Gulfstream would be doing it, and uh, we're not at all surprised to see that they're they're really um, seizing back the the high ground at the top of the market. Um, customers expect them to be there, and they are going to be there. So now we have two uh, really impressive aircraft right at the top of the market, so people have choices. 
that's always good from a customer perspective. So, um, you know, but uh, the bar has been raised now into the mid $70 million price point, And we'll see when Arion finally comes along with their supersonics, that, that price point uh, jumps into triple digits. So we'll, um, you know, we see that coming as well, probably towards the end of uh, the 2020s. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty, pretty optimistic about the future. Do you think the Arian product is real? I mean, it's a challenge building a supersonic business jet that you know meets noise regulations. That meets you know. Look, there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges. Um, it's not just a it's not just about you know you know rolling out a supersonic airplane. There's a lot of yeah, uh, there's a lot of issues that those guys got to overcome. Do you think it's uh, do you think it's realistic? And is it you know? And is it a is it a big seller at the you know, 125 million dollar price point that everybody thinks it's got to come out at? Well, I think it's realistic. It's absolutely coming. Um, question always is when and and what's it going to look like. Um, someone has to pioneer this thing. Um, when Lindbergh decided he was going to try to jump across the pond all those years ago, who would have ever thought that a, somebody could fly you know 30 hours in a little little airplane and make it? And uh, I mean, yeah, I, this is what our industry is all about where we push frontiers and, and speed is definitely the next one. Now, at the same time, of course, the environmental movement is just accelerating uh, in, in terms of um, grabbing attention and making people think about our impacts on, uh, on uh, you know, the, uh, the environment and, and certain emissions, uh, certainly at high altitude. So all of those things going on all at the same time, it makes for uh, yeah, I get- challenging questions. Regulators are also all over this as well, and we're going to need to see changes to regs on both sides of the Atlantic for sure before this is viable. So you, you know, so you're a so you're a, a data guy, and you work alongside JetNet IQ, and you've been doing you know you've been ingrained in the market research and the data side of the industry for a long time. Where are you really bullish? I mean, you've got you know you've got Rolls Royce with some new engine products. You've got Pratt and Whitney, some great engine products. Like you said, the uh, you know the the aero engine guys are, are are pretty innovative. Where are you really bullish on the industry right now? Well, I would also uh, highlight GE. I mean, GE's come into the turboprop market. Uh, of course, they've also got Passport at the top of the business jet market, so they're investing heavily as well. GE's, I guess, the most prolific of the engine companies. And they've doubled down really on uh, general aviation and business aviation. So that's impressive. The Catalyst engine is, of course, now uh, a lot of people are saying that's encouraging Pratt & Whitney to uh, to work on their venerable PT-6 engine, which we've just seen the, the first iteration uh, land onto the um, the new Pilatus PC-12 NGX. So, uh, you know, lots of things going on there. Where are we optimistic? Well, we see demand certainly for the... Um, this new class of aircraft, the newer aircraft that are coming onto market that have just arrived. I mean, there's a lot of demand for them. The book to bill from the OEMs in the first five, well, I should say the first seven, eight months of the year as we collect the data, book to bill, that means orders divided by delivery. So you want to see a book to bill above one. They have been there. They've been above one for all of the year as a group. And um, that's encouraging. So customers are attracted to these new aircraft. The challenge, frankly, is in the legacy arena. We've got, I think, 35 models of business jets currently in production. Only a handful, maybe six, are doing sort of what we call profitable volumes. The rest are uh, really lingering a little bit, and some of them are, are likely to come out of production as we move forward. That has 
impacts on residual values. So we've been advising clients on on that topic. That's that's where people really got burned back in 08, 09 was on the residuals and uh, and after that point. Um, and we see that as another sort of uh, wake up call coming. The um, so let's talk about so you got the ultra uh, you know, the very long range jets the G seven hundred G six fifty and the uh, the global seventy five hundred they've got the top end of the market pretty well cornered you know back when I was at Bombardier you know the you know the the Learjet Continental now the Challenger 300, 350 was a game changer in the super mid market but that market's gotten very crowded. Um, where do people go? I mean, you've got, you've, you know, what's the, you know, is there a new game changer in that market that somebody's going to invent or is it just, you know, is it going to be a little bit better than the, you know, is it, is it now a game of a, we're going to be a little bit better than the last airplane and just go from there? Those are great questions. Um, where we're seeing interest right now, it's fascinating. Not many, many people are noticing this yet, but in the middle of the market, there's quite a, an active demand that's been burbling and bubbling, I guess, for the last little while. We've been watching this, the so-called stand-up cabin airplanes, you know, starting with the Latitude, all the way up to probably Challenger 350, that kind of class. We're seeing quite a bit of interest in that uh, segment. And these airplanes, as you mentioned uh, early on, we, we learned of the Continental, and that evolved into the Challenger 300 and now 350. That airplane continues to be in strong demand. We're seeing that in our surveys. We have... Uh, JetNet IQ survey that's in the field constantly and has been for the last uh, almost nine years. We monitor interest in models, various uh, aircraft that are in demand, uh, you know, what's the probability of that. And we see a lot of interest still in that super mid uh, class and in particular the Challenger 350. Another aircraft that's got people's attention and it's very quietly on the radar for some is the Pilatus PC-24. A lot of interest in this aircraft, which is what is it? It's, it's doing something unique, and uh, I think that's part of the future of these aircraft that can do something uniquely different. And in this case, of course, the, the large cargo door, the uh, you know, for around $10, $11 million, you can get quite a bit of capability and get into a very short field, um, maybe even without uh, without a runway, uh, paved runway. So there's some, some uh, elements, call it bragging rights for some, but for others, it's an app absolute operational advantage to be able to have that type of aircraft. So uh, we see the future as being larger cabin uh, in, in various classes, down even into light uh, jets. I wouldn't be too surprised to see some development there where someone's going to make a, a large cabin light jet, if I can use that expression. I think that's, that's on the horizon. Um, people want more comfort. We're getting a little bit bigger, each of us, uh, as we, uh, as we, we look at uh, the various uh, profiles of, uh, of customers. We're getting bigger. Let's face it: uh, taller, wider, heavier, and uh, that has to translate into design solutions, and that's what we're seeing. So you think? Uh, so you think Cessna is innovating? You know, Textron's innovating the, you know, the CJ4 small cabin and Embraer on the the you know feet on 300. You know, going to take that to the next. Hey, we'll keep it a 1,200 mile jet, but it's going to be a very you know, very, very comfortable stand-up cabin for people very comfortably versus knocking knees and, um, you know, the, you know, the stuff that we were used to back in our day. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing some very tall executives trying to get themselves into a Learjet the 30 series uh, some years ago. You still laugh about that. Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, this is where things are going, and you know, the challenge is always, um, you know, can the motors and can can you know the aerodynamics work and and, and make it so that it's not a, a fuel burning hog. Of course, that we need we need airplanes that are efficient. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's I think where it's going. Um, a little bit more com- comfort in the cabin has been. I think we've checked that box as an industry, but really bringing that cabin thinking down into smaller aircraft. I think that's, that's part of the future. Pretty excited to see some of the Autoland uh, technologies that are just announced. This has been something that uh, has been in work for years. Uh, the notion that you know, if you have an incapacitated pilot or some emergency uh, situation, the ability for the aircraft to get itself down onto, onto an airport safely, um, and even turn off the motors and, you know, <laughs> open the door. I think that's all very cool. And, and, and I'm glad to see it finally coming along. We see a couple of, um, OEMs already approving that, uh, for their aircraft. Do you, yeah, there's, yeah, you've got Bombardier, Dassault, Gulfstream, Textron, Embraer, Pilatus is a, you know, 40 aircraft a year manufacturer, 50 year aircraft a year manufacturer. Um, all these guys are chasing, you know, what's a very limited market. Um, you know, is there, is there, is the market big enough for them all to invest and play? Do you see some consolidation? How do you see, uh, how do you think shaping up in the future for, uh, for these guys? Well, I think consolidation is coming for sure. When we see, um, this industry step back a little bit. It, we're a cyclical industry like most. Um, we have uh, up days and down days, up periods, whatever, down periods. Yeah, I mean, clearly when we go down, and I think that's where the demand is headed here as we look forward into the next couple of years. And that's, we have a, what's called a synchronized recession risk, which is uh, really when you look across the big markets for business aviation, most of the economic forecasters are saying, you know, things are getting softer, and, and I don't think there's any exception to that. Uh, all of the key economies are looking, um, as you look forward, are, are expected to grow a little bit more slowly, or even in some cases a lot more slowly over the next couple of years. So, yeah, a synchronized slowdown, and that impacts um, all kinds of things. And, and I think the pressures mount at that case, in that, those cases for um, consolidation. There are some OEMs that are more at risk than others. Um, it's always fun to speculate as to what might happen. Um, uh, maybe not so fun if you work in one of these companies, but the um, uh, what we see in from a consolidation point of view, it'll probably start with fewer production lines, fewer models in production. We see quite a few aircraft right now being produced at let's say one airplane or one and a half airplanes a month. I mean, that rate is just not profitable for sure. Um, Regardless of whether the R&D has been written off years ago, that just isn't a good use of uh, productive assets. So that's where the first uh, impacts are going to be felt, so fewer production lines, models. And there are some OEMs that are clearly, um, whether through their financial performance or through just their limited reach in the marketplace, I mean, they, they do look more exposed than others. So... Um, yeah, I think we're going to see that. We're also going to see consolidation in the charter, and um, you know, I would say charter and Part 135 World Aircraft Management. Um, a lot of folks are looking at you know shared uh, services going forward, whether it's to manage their airplane or to have somebody else fly it for them. Um, yeah, 
I can see a lot of uh, potential for consolidation. We're a very, very fragmented industry. Uh, most of the operations here in the U.S. are where we do see still private operations. Um, I think there's more pressure there for companies to quote unquote outsource to uh, look at, you know, aircraft management and charter heat even here in the U.S. Does uh, so? Here's here's a question. I'll just ask point blank. You know, the the great, you know, the great trademark in business aviation is Learjet. Are we going to see? Are we going to see the name Learjet in five years, or is it is it a goner? Craig, it's a great brand, and and uh, you know I worked there at one point in my career, and um, when you ask the owner operator community uh, what that one what that word Learjet means, what that brand means, they say one thing, and they say it very clearly ahead of probably any other thing is um, speed. It means speed. Mm-hmm. That airplane and that brand really brought speed to business aviation years ago in the 60s. And it's been through many different owners over the years. And uh, I think Bombardier has been very, uh, I think, uh, good about investing uh, over the years in that brand and those facilities, especially in Wichita. Um, but it's been, maybe it's a brand from the past now. It's it's a shame. It seems that it's come and gone uh, and uh, the course, uh, of you know any product development or any brand goes through its uh, product uh, life cycle. So I wonder if we aren't on the downturn of that. I mean, they're at low rates of production. Um, mm-hmm. but the challenge is, you know, what do you do with it? Do you, do you, they've tried, they've invested in this and that, and, and it hasn't really worked. Um, it's a small part of their, their big operation. I don't think it's core to what they do. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Now they're they're you know they've got a sales team out there, and they're I think they're bringing the seventy five to market. And, you know they're out from you know what people tell me they're out selling the seventy five at you know like a nine nine and a half million dollar price point. And hey, look for nine nine and a half million dollars. It's a great it's a great airplane. Um, you know maybe you can just sell it all day long, and we'll do incremental upgrades on it, and we'll keep the brand alive until we figure out what to do from here. Um, you know. At least that's what I see from my perspective. I don't know if I'm right or not, but uh, you know that's kind of what I'm seeing. Yeah, I think uh, you know, a Far 25 airplane for under 10 million. I mean, that's that's impressive. You don't see that very very often. So, um, yeah, they repositioned the aircraft. The um, um, you know, we'll, we'll just see. I was expecting some fleet orders at uh, NBAA this year for that aircraft. We didn't see that. I know that charter community in particular, and some of the fractional players are looking at uh, that aircraft. Um, we'll see. I mean, um, Lombardi can definitely um, um, do fleet orders uh, all day long. So they're, they're, they're re- very capable at that. So we'll see. You mentioned the, uh, the part 135 charter arena, mm-hmm. obviously net jets, FlexJet flight options are the big players in the fractional side of the house. You've got some you know, Jet Aviation, Clay Lacey, uh, Executive Jet Management, Solaris, some really good players on the, the charter yep. management yep. side of the house. You know, the one, the one word I hear, the one phrase I hear is the democratization of business aviation. You know, look, I can, I can cut a pizza up a thousand different ways, but if I eat the whole thing, it still comes out. You know, the calories, the calorie number doesn't change. <laughs> Um, yeah. Are we kidding ourselves? Where do you, you know, where, where, how do you see, how do you see the charter market and the fractional market? And I know it's a new buyer out there. Um, 
How do you see this playing out in the future? Well, to, you know, it's all around cost. We're talking about costs here. Um, we have to lower, we, uh, the industry has to lower its cost of production, cost of producing a seed or, or a flight. Uh, and how do you do that? Asset utilization, you have to get the asset utilization up. Um, a commercial airliner, I used to work on the commercial side of this industry years ago. I mean, a commercial airliner flies three to 6,000 hours a year. Business aircraft, more like 200 to 350. I mean, right away, that's 10 to 20 times or whatever the number is, 10 to 30 times more utilization out of the assets. So right away, there's there's a, there's a topic. Now, a charter carrier or a fractional operator program holder will, will be flying a business aircraft, let's say, 1,000 hours a year or 1,200 or something like that. But we're still at a third to, I don't know, a, a fifth of utilization of a long-haul business, uh, of a long-haul commercial airliner. Okay, I get that. The missions are shorter. Uh, even the ultra-long-haul uh, business jets, on average, are only flying around 1,200 nautical miles, maybe 1,400 now uh, on a typical mission. That's New York, Florida. It always has been. You know, so that mm -hmm. hasn't changed. Um, so to get utilization up, really, um, you know, asset utilization. But but frankly, uh, these aircraft are not inexpensive to operate. They're not necessarily designed for that type of um, uh, level of utilization. Our cost per hour programs certainly are not. Um, so lots of things need to change. I think uh, one of the topics we discussed earlier was this um, the talent topic and, and, you know, a lot of demand for people who are either pilots or aircraft maintenance technicians, um, dispatchers, you name it. Um, as talent gets more expensive, and it is getting more expensive every day in our industry as commercial airliners in particular um, Airlines uh, grab talent. Um, I don't. I don't see the unit costs really of our industry going down very much. In fact, I see them going up. So, democratization. Well, you know, I'm not sure what that means, but if it means more and more and more folks flying, um, okay. During some, you know, business. Well, I should say, um, business development models could could allow more people to fly, shared service, etc. But you've got to have the means to to fly in our industry and that, you know i think of it as five thousand dollars an hour if you're not right. worth something like that really how often do you belong in the back of the airplane it's a it's, it's a hundred dollar bill a minute going into the jet engine i mean that's you know that's what it, you know that's the realistic thing and everybody can talk about hey look there's a value there i mean i wrote a i wrote a blog on you know you know ge and their jets and i'm like yeah if you're a hundred million dollar hundred billion dollar company you're uh you know a $1 billion company or whatever, you know, the cost of the jet is chump change compared to the value you get out of it. Now, you and I may think about, you know, $6,000 an hour as a, you know, huge expense, but, you know, to a, to a company that's flying a couple of executives around, yes, it's more expensive than an airliner, but, you know, the value is there. So I think it's all, I think it's all relative. I've just seen all these models come out and they're like, we're going to really bring down the cost of, private flying to the everyday person. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm maybe I'm just a skeptic. Maybe I'm just a skeptic in my middle age, but um, <laughs> I don't think we're, I don't think we're quite there yet. Um, hey, yeah. So what do you see? You know, let's just talk about the international environment. Um, does China come back? Well, we've been watching China for a while. It, um, Hong Kong never really uh, slowed down until very recently. When you look at China, you really have to look at mainland China and maybe Hong Kong, Macau separately. We've been doing that for some time. 
So mainland China actually slowed down in terms of intake of aircraft business jets uh, several years ago. Um, and of course, during the more recent uh, trade battles with uh, the U.S., the, the, the interest and demand for, for, in particular, business aircraft and U.S.-built business aircraft has really, really slowed down. Um, uh, that, that, that's a shame, but, but it is the reality. Uh, Hong Kong, a little bit less uh, slowdown there. In fact, uh, only recently, with all of the troubles on, on the ground in Hong Kong, do we see a slowdown in intake of business aircraft there. So kind of a tale of two markets. Does China come back? Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of development there. And, and frankly, aviation is a huge part of China's um, economy and will be going forward. The development of infrastructure is still slow. The opening of aerospace is still slow. Airspace is still slow. Um, you know, pilot creation is a topic for every day and for the future. But China needs so many pilots and, and technicians, and uh, it's absolutely a huge part of the future. So we'll see. Um, you know, we're in a very strange time with U.S.-China relations, and uh, that will get resolved. Uh, but uh, it doesn't seem like it's happening quickly. How about uh, how about Europe? I mean, huge environmental concerns in Europe right now, or big you know, big green push. I want to say in Europe. Um, big spotlight on, you know, aircraft shaming right now, I'll call it. Uh, is that the biggest challenge business aviation has in Europe right now, or is there other issues that we need to worry about more? Well, I think Europe economically is, is, uh, is in a tough spot right now. It's been growing. I mean, the European uh, economy went through what we'll call a double-dip double recession after the 2008 crisis. So there was the you know the recession that occurred right away then there was recovery and then down into recession again back up and then now they've been on pretty slow growth most of the key economies are growing at around one percent right now and in fact uh, italy technically in recession germany right on the edge of it uh, brexit and, and of course uh, all of the chaos that that's introduced almost a permanent chaos now for the last three three years it's just damaging to the European economy, both the sides of the English Channel. There's no question around that. Um, so all of this has caused people to really be more inward looking, whether it's, you know, I, I just want to look after my own little backyard or my own country or it's, it's we've gone from globalization to uh, nationalism almost overnight here, it seems. And um, it's, it's a trend. It'll, it'll, it'll swing again back. But uh, right now we're, we're in the sort of, you know, take care of my own backyard kind of mode. And, uh, and it's not just here in the U.S. It's, it's, it's uh, really a bit of a, um, for sure, transatlantic phenomenon. And, um, and we'll see where that all goes. In, uh, in terms of Fleekscam, or, or that's the term now thrown around in Europe coming out of Sweden, of course, the flight shaming is a, is a big topic. The environmental challenge that our industry and, frankly, all of our industries face, uh, all of our communities face, it's not going away. We are, uh, remember reading one uh, little note that talked about there is no planet B, forget about plan B, but planet B. We are definitely facing some very unusual um, climate uh, changes and um, it's it's a global issue. Um, so uh, to the extent that business aviation is a very small contributor, but, but unfortunately somewhat visible contributor, we, we are uh, in some people's spotlights. So taking care of that issue. I think um, 
sustainable uh, jet fuels or uh, aviation fuels. That's part of it. Uh, technology, that's certainly part of it. Getting uh, cleaner motors. Um, and in the future, hybrid and I'm sure electric. Uh, but that's all well out there in the future. In the short term, I think sustainable fuels and um, technological changes are going to help. Uh, airspace um, usage, you know, where we have more direct flying, especially in and around airports, um, I think that's going to help as well. These are all contributors. Maybe they don't change the the overall direction of, of, uh, of polluting in the air, if you like. But um, it's it's as an industry, we need to be able to to show that we're we're doing the right thing. And I think we're we're getting there. There you go. No, I I agree with you. There's a lot of investment. I mean, hey, look, one for every crisis, there's an opportunity, right? And you just talked about, you know, you, you talked about better, you know, development of better motors, development of alternative fuels, development of EV tall or, or some sort of hybrid, you know, so, um, you know, wherever there's a challenge, there's an opportunity to make some money and create some. Well, I agree. I think we, we, we look at the, and, and the typical behavior when things are looking tough, let's say we're looking on the radar screen, there's a lot of bright colors on the radar right now. We're saying, hmm, how do we, what do we do about this? A lot of people and a lot of companies, a lot of in investors, frankly, I think they're doing the wrong things. What they're looking at is, oh, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to freeze. I'm going to hold. I'm going to you know, consolidate, whatever. There's others who are looking at that screen and say, hmm, wait a minute. This is a solution. You know, this is an opportunity, an opportunity as others don't do something for us, for me, for our organization mm-hmm. to double down or to, to make a bet on the future. And you know what? Uh, those are usually smart bets. That's when... That's when things change. Um, that's when companies really show and individuals really show if they're leaders or not. And I think that's that's a fascinating opportunity. And rather than you know sell the stock and you know burn the furniture or whatever, it's it's really the opposite. It's it's time to say you know what there's there's some good here. And and the good is that no one else isn't doing anything. I'm going to invest. I'm going to I'm going to seize the high ground and, and be ready for the next day. And I think that's where. Um, some of our listeners hopefully are going. Yeah, no, I, Hey, look, I agree with you. And, and I, you know, look, when I joined Gulfstream in the mid nineties, you know, Bombardier made Gulfstream a better company. Um, you know, it, it challenged it to build, you know, what was a good product to make it great. You know, G5 came along, it was a great product to the global express became a great product. You know, then, you know, Bombardier, you know, created some other great products and then Gulfstream created some other great products as did the other guys too. So I think the, you know, it's like you said, you know, competition and challenges make everything a little bit better. Hey, let's, uh, let's finish up here. One last question. Are you, you know, short term, you, you bullish, you, 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 uh, you bullish on, uh, aircraft deliveries going up. Um, you, you think we're, we going up, we flat, we going down. What's, uh, what's your crystal ball? Well, crystal ball on this year and next year is we're going up. Um, we think we're going up fairly, uh, I'd say, well, mid to high double di- uh, single digits in terms of the volume of aircraft that are going to be delivered, um, certainly on the jet side. So as Gamma reports their numbers in February for the whole year of 2019, they're going to be up for sure. And we think also the, the year after. Where you're going to see um, that up is is in new and, and substantially new aircraft uh, that are in demand. Um, so-called legacy models, airplanes that have been delivering now for quite a few years, maybe at the you know, toward the latter part of their product life cycle, production life cycle, those are, that's where the challenges are. But when we see the ramp ups of you know the Gulfstream uh, G500, 600, 
certainly the Global 7500, the um, PC24 from Pilatus, Latitude, and of course, Longitude staying up there. Uh, we've got a Cirrus aircraft delivering at a good rate as well. So we've got some Phenom 300 continues to be an impressive aircraft, lots of volume. And Legacy now into Praetor, I think we're going to see ramp up as, as Embraer. Um, they've really got some challenges there to get that whole industrial footprint figured out with the new Boeing arrangements. But uh, once that's all in place, the Praetors are impressive and uh, I think people are taking notice. So lots of good uh, demand and good volumes coming out of that, which will make gamma numbers look good for this year and next. After that, we are predicting uh, the, the deliveries in the industry are coming down for um, 21 through 24, we think are, is going to be a bit of a swoon. And that's based on what appears to be for, I'd say, nine out of 10 indicators are telling us that demand is slowing down. And uh, that'll that'll uh, finally impact the um, factory outputs. So we'll see a softer period. I think 21 to maybe 24 and then picking up again. Uh, aero engine development is going to help that. Uh, a lot of people focus on the airframes. We're watching the aero engines in, uh, as well very carefully. So, um, you know, we're optimistic, but uh, I'd say two years of good good news out of gamma numbers and then uh, some soft times ahead. Awesome. No, I appreciate it. Hey, Rolly, how do uh, how do people get a hold of you? <laughs> well, uh, I guess uh, we're in Texas most of the time. 972-439-2069 is the way to reach me. Um and uh, R. Vincent at RolandVincent.com. That's with two L's, R-O-L-L-A-N-D, Vincent.com. So that's the way to reach me. Awesome. Hey, Rolly, thanks for coming on today. Appreciate your insights. Appreciate what you do, Craig. Thank you.